0: Hi, I'm Dr. Melina, and welcome to my podcast, Season 2, Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina, where I take some of the best information and try to distill it down into what you can do, will do, and should do. So today, I'm very happy to kick off Season 2 with Dr. John White, who is the Chief Medical Officer of WebMD. Love that. Great title. Uh it's very I, I use WebMD a lot actually in my practice. So um and he's got a book that I was really interested in. I actually heard him discuss it on live with Kelly and Ryan when I was there a couple months ago. So about taking control of your diabetes. And this is a subject that I am incredibly passionate about. So thank you, Dr. White, for joining me today. I'm so happy to talk to you.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad we're able to have this discussion.
0: Yeah. And you're and you're doing great. I, I really do think WebMD does a really great job of, you know, taking the information and and just, you know, giving it an actionable pra- like it is the epitome of what I try to do with Practically Healthy podcasts. So um, I you. really appreciate your work. But so let's jump right in and talk about diabetes, because, you know, some of the statistics are really alarming so yeah. i mean let let get tell us a little bit about the statistics mm-hmm. you know some of the risk factors that sort of thing and you actually i did i learned from your book i actually learned oh, some you. new stuff which i'm going to ask you about which is kind of cool mm-hmm. you know you can teach an old dog new tricks but let's talk <laughs> a little bit about the the statistics and yeah. risk factors and some of the complications just so the audience yeah. kind of understands what it is cuz i think we don't fully understand it
1: Right. And when we think about diabetes, particularly type 2 diabetes, it, it's really all about glucose, right? So we use glucose as energy, we get it from our food. And in type 1 diabetes, you know, our pancreas doesn't produce enough insulin. So it's insulin deficiency. So that's going to be on insulin all your lots. But in type 2 diabetes, it's insulin resistance. So we're still making that insulin, but our cells aren't responding to it. So we can't get that glucose into the cells, stays in our bloodstream, and creates elevated blood sugar. What's staggering is roughly 10% of the population has diabetes, 34 million people. About 90 million people have prediabetes, which means they're at significant risk of developing diabetes. 10% of people with prediabetes develop diabetes every month. year. So, the statistics are staggering and they're getting worse. But what we also know is, as you and I have discussed, 90% of type 2 diabetes is caused by obesity. And when that's the case, that means we can do something about it. And you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen a lot of patients over the years, they'll say to me, "Mm, Dr. White, I just have a touch of sugar. Like, oh, it's not so bad. (laughs) I'll be okay. And then I tell them, Number one cause of blindness is diabetes in the United States, leading cause of kidney disease, while you might need to be put on dialysis or a transplant. You and I have both seen patients with those painful neuropathies, the tingling sensations and numbness in their fingers and the toes. It is not a good disease to have. And now we need to talk about what can people do to prevent it or reverse it.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, um, it's really exciting to me. First of all, just for, you know, those who don't realize it too, of the 10% that have diabetes, a significant portion don't even know it. So it is really important to get those regular checkups and make sure that you're getting the fasting blood sugar test and that sort of thing. Um, And of the pre-diabetes, I think one of the things that's most exciting to me as somebody who's dedicated my career to nutrition is that according to some research, Nearly eighty-eight percent of pre-diabetes can be reversed not cured and you make a point of saying that in your mm-hmm. book that if you go back to your old ways you're going to go back to having the poor blood sugar control yeah. but this really of any uh disease i feel like it is the most under our control right. because even though there is a genetic component to type mm-hmm. 2 diabetes the lifestyle component far outweighs it so right. that's why it's it's so interesting for me to talk about and it's something that i deal with all day every day and just as as you know, a 52-year-old woman, I think it's important, even though obesity is a major risk factor, obviously, I see so many women in perimenopause who are never had problems with blood sugar and all of the sudden now are pre-diabetic. So can you comment a
1: little bit about that? Sure. And I say we put it in remission. Uh, And and that's a good way to keep in mind, because if you don't continue to do the things you need to, it's going to come back. And with anything in terms of the perimenopausal period, as we know, there's a lot of changes in hormones at that time, that impacts our blood sugar and how we regulate blood sugar. It's also about the weight gain that we all tend to get as we get older, our basal metabolic rate slows down. So we're automatically going to gain weight if we don't change our behavior. I mean, let's be honest, during COVID, we've all have sat around a lot and have been stressed, and we know the role of stress. But the challenge that, that I have with my colleagues in medicine is, as doctors, we don't talk to patients really about lifestyle. We say to them, oh, you need to lose weight. You need to go to the gym. But then we never tell them what to do, partly because often we don't know what to tell them what to do. And then we say, oh, they failed. They can't do it. We need to start them on metformin. We need to start on insulin. And and sure, some patients need medication. But I also think, I'm interested how you feel on that. We're too quick as the medical professionals to say, oh, let's start you on a drug because we don't give people the practical advice and help them understand what's going on with your hormones, what's going on with your lifestyle that you can change.
0: Yeah. And I—that I, I, that is, I 100% think, I think the problem is that physicians are just not trained in any mm-hmm. aspect of nutrition or lifestyle medicine. And when you look at the statistics of weight loss, most people fail. But I think okay. what to me is so, and I see this over, I mean, I've been doing this now for 22 years where I am treating obesity, but I would say of my patients at least are pre-diabetic as well. Mm -hmm. I I see, um, and this is so important for those out there listening to this who are interested in maybe pre-diabetic or know somebody who is, is that even with modest amounts of weight loss, you can... Put your Absolutely. diabetes into remission. So, and, and people don't understand that five to 10% of your body mm-hmm. weight. So mm-hmm. if you're 200 pounds, that's only 10 to 20 pounds. Yeah. And you may not be the, thrilled with it, but your doctor will because they're going to be surprised mm-hmm. at. And, and I spend most of my time getting people off medications. And just a few more things too. I think people need to understand, especially for women, is that having prediabetes, exponentially increases your risk for heart disease which is the leading killer of women not breast right. cancer. We're all terrified of breast cancer but most of us are going to die from heart disease. So I think that's a really important um component. And the other thing just as far as other things is I see it a lot with fatty liver disease. I I you know and and that is something that is actually very quickly right. put into remission and actually reversed. I see mm-hmm. you the know
1: non-alcoholic fatty liver non-alcoholic disease Mm -hmm. So
0: um, I think it's really great. And and I do think um, but I think doctors are just they and and even and what I love, there's so much in your book, um, take control of your diabetes risk for those of you who are Mm -hmm. interested in purchasing it online um, or in the bookstore, Um, you know, with exercise, even with building lean body mass, even if you don't lose an ounce, if you start doing cardio, eat better, eat more of the things that we'll talk about shortly right. and build muscle. Mm-hmm. And and you, I love it because you described muscle as a sponge. Yeah. And I have <laughs> been right. doing that for uh, 20 years. because yeah. it soaks so, up. Yeah. Exactly, it soaks mm-hmm. up. The, and I, I like point to my bicep. I mean, my biceps aren't as good as uh, our mutual friend, Jesse Pavelka, uh-huh. but mm-hmm. I'm like, the muscle soaks up the blood sugar. And so no matter, yeah. even if you don't lose weight, and I think that's an even more more powerful message because weight loss is hard. We live in an obesogenic environment. Mm -hmm. We're constantly surrounded by reasons to eat and reasons to move less. You know, I have um, a chapter in my first book called My Grandmother Didn't Have to Go to the Gym. Why do I have to? (laughs) It's because we have dishwashers, garage door openers, remote controls. We have mechanized everything. And there Mm -hmm. was a really cool paper, the impact of mechanization on our total caloric Expenditure and it's way less just mm-hmm. because of you know moving escalators. We don't walk upstairs anymore. No. You know we go up the moving escalator. So let's. I, but well, let's let's start with the fitness because you you yeah. really you have some really good statistics for that. So tell us a little bit about some of the benefits and what yeah, you sure. prescribe to patients because you and do I said, prescribe, which I is do. Cool.
1: I do, and I say exercise is as close to a magic pill as we'll get because that sponge, what it's doing is I mentioned mentioned, type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance. Well, exercise makes our bodies more sensitive to insulin, so we can then continue to bring that glucose into our cells for energy. And I'll tell you, I was using a continuous glucose monitor. I I don't have prediabetes, but I wanted to see how my body responded. And I saw on days that I exercise, my blood sugar stays pretty normal throughout the day. And I don't have these big spikes or what we call excursions. And that's ideally what you want. So that's why exercise is so important. And I always say to patients, I have to say to myself sometimes, how do you feel? No one ever comes to me and says, I wish I didn't go to the gym. I wish I <laughs> didn't go <laughs> on a run. We have a lot of excuses to get there, right? But once we go, we never say, oh, wow, I wish I didn't go. Because we have that release of endorphins, right? Those feel-good hormones that make us feel like we're you know, king of the, the world. And, and, and the exercise is going to help us metabolize. Glucose better, build that muscle that's going to be that armor for us. So there's so many benefits. And I don't want people to think that they have to go to the gym. There's lots of things that we can do at home. And now there's virtual trainers, there's, you know, VR, there's apps and tools. And I talk about exercise shouldn't be thought of as like mm, it's nice to have <laughs> like right I wish I had an exercise program it's really a must-have yeah then you got to choose those activities that you enjoy and I've seen patients over the years that'll say oh they're trying to go swimming I say well why swimming and they'll be like oh I heard it you know it's better on your joints but they don't like swimming so I'm like don't don't do that if you don't like it it can't be seen as a chore, but you have to try to do something at least every other day. You don't want too many days to go by. And there's a great section of the book where I talk about, you know, high intensity. It's not for everyone, but lots of good data suggests you can do it in 10 to 12 minutes of exercise, you know, three times a week, and you'll get the same benefit. There's one where it talks about a study of four minutes, four times a day, 30 seconds, of, you know, like sprint in, pl- you know, sprint or, you know, jog in place at, at your, you know, biggest uh, uh, in- intervals, and then 30 seconds of rest. And then do that for four minutes, four times a week, and the blood sugars return to normal in three months. But you got to be consistent yeah. at it too. And that's hard for people.
0: I love that. I actually read that. I, I read that part of the book very closely. I read the, uh, you know, the whole mm-hmm. exercise chapter very closely. You, cause you talk about a 46% decreased risk of yeah. diabetes with regular exercise, which is astounding. But, and I have been recommending HIT to my patients for 15 years. I actually have a handout. And just for those who aren't familiar with it, it really is, it's just, it's, it's alternating mini sprints with, yeah. and I tell patients though, I don't, with in between, I would, I don't want them to rest. I want them to mm. recover. There's a difference, recovery versus rest. So, but it is something for those busy moms like me Uh that's incredibly time efficient. And I was really impressed at the different, um, you know, types of hit that you talk yeah. about in your book. And it really can be simple. It's something you can right. do at home. and um, But the important thing for exercise, I think, and I agree with you 100%, and I'm the same way with food, right? If you don't like something, like yeah. if I tell you to eat it and you don't like it, I don't want you to force yourself just right. temporarily because this has to be a lifestyle. Yeah. So things people can do with exercise is to actually schedule it in,
1: write I it in their that, calendar. Yeah. yeah. And I and try to reserve time on it. And I say in the book, I love how you point out, like I start off with 30 minutes, five days a week. I'm like, but what about if you have 15? But what about if you have 10? I know. But okay, what four. four. I'll take four. Like, like, I, I, but, but you have to put forth that effort. And yeah. you have to realize this is a benefit for you. And it's not just- for blood sugar control, it's all the other aspects. You pointed out about heart disease in women. Women usually, as you know, have heart disease in their 60s, men in their 50s on average. Diabetes moves it 10 years earlier in their 40s for men in the 50s in women. Why subject yourself to that if you don't have to and make those changes? And, you know, sadly, sometimes people think, well, being healthy isn't fun right? Like, oh, now I have to go exercise, or now I have to, you know, eat, uh, you know, kale all day. It, it's not like that, you are not mutually exclusive, you can be healthy, and have fun and enjoy activities. And and that's where we need to change that mindset.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, that's why I started this podcast. It's called Practically Healthy. That. Yes. So it's a double entendre, because you're not mm-hmm. perfectly healthy. Yeah. And it's it's, you know, you don't have to be perfect. No, not But at you all. do have to make it practical. So, and, and I, I really, it is, you know, anything that people can do, whether it's making it a social thing, like mm-hmm. instead of happy hour, which I do, I have to admit, I'm a wino, okay? Everybody, okay. I admit it. <laughs> Um, I know all the negative things on that. We'll talk about alcohol later, but because okay. um, actually I was interested in in, in that as well. But um, and we're probably gonna. I gotta move move on. But um, definitely, you know, make it social. Schedule it in. Anything right. that you can do, find something that you really do enjoy. And right, I started doing push-ups. I did like thirty twice a week. I did at that home. too. Yeah, yes. and it's like uh-huh. I. I mean, it really. That's a that's really what I great exercise. To it works I say, for the front yeah. of your arm, the back of your arm, your shoulders, your. Abs, Abs.
1: So you know what a lot people of, love that they could try. Is you can start with two, and you keep at it, and you'll see in a couple of weeks you'll be at ten and twenty. Yeah, and, yeah. and people get excited by that.
0: And you can start with your knees. You can even mm-hmm. start against the wall. I mean, yep. there where you start. I always get patients where they are because you see these lofty goals on Instagram, and everybody looks yeah. like they're so fit and perfect, and that's not the reality. So right. I love that. So um, you know, let let's talk. A little bit about about diet um, you know and and I'm gonna push back a little bit on a few things with you as sure. I, I I warned him everybody I did mm-hmm. I was respectful um, so um, just give us an overview of kind of the most diabetes friendly diet in, in your opinion
1: you know in terms of the diabetes friendly diet it is about what I say to sometimes for people it's about substitutions you know 20% of people eat fish once a week. The rest eat none. <laughs> so right. if you could substitute one of your meat meals with fish, you're automatically going to lose weight and have better blood sugar control because the fish is low in carbs. It's high in antioxidants. It's chock full of vitamins and minerals. It's always going to be a healthier choice. It's about you know having more whole grains instead of all the refined grains, the white rice, the, the white bread, There's lots of benefits for whole grains in making you feel full sooner so you don't overeat, as well as keeping blood sugar control better. You know, fruits and vegetables. Every now and then I have a patient who say to me, oh, I can't eat fruit because my blood sugar is going to get too high. And I tell them, I don't know what you think, but I've never met a person. Develop diabetes or worsen diabetes because they eat too much fruit. It just doesn't happen. And most of us don't eat enough fruit. So we really need to intentionally and purposefully try to get fruit. Maybe you can't do it at every meal, but can you at least do it one meal once a day? And that's hard for people and vegetables as well. You know, clearly we want to reduce the number of processed foods, the, all the fast foods that we eat. They're chock full of too much sodium. That's also a problem. It's not just about sugar. It's also about too much sodium, too much fat. And then you mentioned beverages. I'll just say, you know, we should be drinking water as our beverage of choice. There's too many of the sodas, the juices, things that sound healthy, but really aren't, and they're full of sugar. And then there's hidden sugars and ketchup and pasta sauce uh, and you know, granola bars. You have to look at the label sometimes and make the comparisons. It can be tricky what to eat, so you have to educate yourself a little.
0: Yeah, and I I think just to add on to that, though, the protective effect of healthy fats, so nuts and seeds and olive oil, looking at big studies like the Mm PrediMed study, definitely some good data on that. I would would say with fruit, and this is another thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I have seen women not lose weight because mm. they eat too much fruit. I don't monitor, I don't do continuous glucose monitors in patients, yeah. but I do think that, you know, if you have a banana with breakfast, and the, I mean, it yeah. can add up calorically, even though it's a much healthier um, source. I personally push vegetables much more mm-hmm. with patients because I think people are even, like, get even fewer vegetables yeah. every day. I think, um, ultra processed foods are really, you know, they're made with just it's it, nothing even real. Yeah. I mean, it's like derivatives of corn mm-hmm. plus artificial flavor, artificial sweeteners, salt, sugar, fat, whatever it is. So that's something. And with the whole grains, I mean, I think there's a variability of tolerance. And one of the things I think you did a great job in your book about talking about how to identify whole grains, yeah. you know, in terms of what looking for the word whole. But mm-hmm. one little trick is looking for at the ingredient list. So if you yeah. just take some time, flip it over and make sure that the whole grain is at the beginning because some companies trick you. They're smart with the marketing and they say made with whole grains on yeah. the front of the package and it's eight grams of whole grains and 37 grams of refined yeah. grains. So that's
1: the crackers. You yeah. have
0: to be yeah. a diet yeah. detective in a way. Right. But I tell patients it may take you a little time to build the infrastructure of a healthy mm-hmm. diet, to learn and find products that will work for for you. Um, one of the other things just in terms of, I'm a big fan of magnesium. There's a lot of yep. data looking at magnesium, helping insulin resistance, beans, nuts, mm-hmm. and leafy greens. Those are yeah. great magnesium foods and great diabetes friendly, pre-diabetes. Yeah. So those are things that I really push people to try to integrate. And you know what, if you don't like kale, do romaine lettuce. Yeah. You know, there's so many, and you, but you can't overdo it with- right.
1: Yeah, you put your what do you think your of shake? What do you think about advising people to put it in a shake and have it that way?
0: Uh, I do what? that absolutely. Like oh,
1: your spinach, absolutely. your blueberries, your banana, other things. I actually do that, and sometimes I actually buy them from some places that you go. No, order. I
0: think smoothies are great. Home mm-hmm. smoothies, the ones yes, that you get absolutely. out. I mean, that's right. Jamba juice, sorry, Jamba juice, but yeah. loaded with sugar. Maybe like than, the
1: Daily Harvest and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I think of those, that's an really option. I mean,
0: it's an expensive food. option, but yes. it's a good option. Yeah. I think absolutely putting it in your smoothie. I think smoothies are a great way to get a lot of healthy foods in. Absolutely. You can add chia seed, you can add flax Mm -hmm. seed, you can add leafy greens, you can add uh, frozen berries, which are my favorite fruit, low glycemic, so they Mm -hmm. don't raise. Um, And then a good source of protein. I, I love that. I don't personally do it because I don't find that smoothies keep me full that long. I actually need um, solid food to stay fuller okay. longer. So, but, you know, again, I'm always talking to patients, meeting mm-hmm. them where they are. Um, I think the other thing I think you talk about in the book, too, is fermented dairy. So yes. things like yogurt mm-hmm. and, you know, the importance of the gut microbiome in pre diabetes risk and metabolic disorders. Absolutely. That could be a whole nother podcast about the Probiotics. gut health, but, absolutely. yeah Probiotics, absolutely, prebiotics. Fiber, probiotics, prebiotics. Mm -hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit before, well, there's so much to talk about. But, um, you know, before we leave the nutrition realm, because you talk about cinnamon in the book Mm -hmm. and you say the evidence is not there. And I, having written two books on herbs Mm -hmm. and spices and being obsessed with the potential Mm -hmm. healing power and i don't want to oversell it but the fact that spices are prebiotics antioxidants anti-inflammatory taste great and have no calories i
1: do say that in there i know you do i know
0: you do but i think uh uh you know the data is not a slam dunk, but cinnamon, mm. turmeric, ginger, and I, cumin. Yeah. Those four for me, coriander and tarragon actually yeah. both have a great. I mean, for me as a doctor, and this is where, you know, the art and the science of medicine is spices and herbs are such a low hanging fruit. Yeah. And I personally don't need a slam dunk randomized controlled trial. I mean, I to recommend them. And I don't oversell it. I don't say that this is part of your toolbox, though. And it's a really important part. And I think there's more and more data emerging supporting the benefits. The studies are just, they're hard to do. Ginger, Mm
1: -hmm. garlic, turmeric. I agree with you. Uh, And that's a way to spice up your fish. That yeah, you that you say. There you you're go. To well, those are my stuff. books. Absolutely. I'm All right. Su- they've been around thousands of years. Exactly, you know, and they they've been used purposes.
0: as therapeutics. I mean, it, it's so fascinating to me. But, and um, you know, I don't think we'll we'll have time to get to this. But I just wanted to touch briefly on the the sugar addiction because you you very clearly state that it's not addictive, and I would say for the most part, I agree with that. But having interviewed a lot of people and and. My practice is exclusively weight loss and nutrition, not internal medicine. So I think there is a small percentage of people. There's data that shows that their brains light up and people with food addiction, maybe a little bit more of the binge eating disorder. I, I do see that. I agree that. And for
1: dopamine release. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think there so is a percentage to, of people. just if
0: people, and there is a f- Yale food addiction scale for people who think they may be addicted, because a lot of people think, I mean, listen, I love sugar. I'm not going to lie. I have mm-hmm. to have a little bit every day, but I'm not addicted. I'm, I mean, so I yeah. think a lot of people just say, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. I can't give it up. And that I don't agree with, yeah. but, and I don't ever actually want somebody to give it up permanently because that's going to, I find the rebound effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, cutting back, getting rid of the, and you talk about this in your book, the hyper sweet artificial sweeteners yeah. that train our taste buds to think that everything should taste 10,000 times sweeter <laughs> than sugar. It's ridiculous. But um, let's talk briefly about supplements because you you mentioned two in your book, um, chromium and alpha lipoic acid that I actually do believe in and it is again a tough area but so you're you're do you recommend those to patients
1: Those have shown some data, particularly people that have pre-diabetes or or diabetes, that they can give some additional benefit for blood sugar control. You know, I always have that caution as you do. It's not a replacement for healthy eating. It's not an excuse. So you can eat the cupcake and then pop a supplement. But it's about really trying to have an open mind, recognizing that it could help. You know, I'm a big supporter of vitamin D as well. I measure it in a lot of people. I think there's a role in immune function. I just don't. You know, start taking it. We always have to be concerned about mega doses. But I think some supplements, chromium, alpha lipoic acid, there are some emerging data that it might help. So why not try sometimes for those that we have some encouraging information on?
0: I agree and I think you know doctors are too quick to write off these yeah. alternative medicines that approach the integrative approach um, but and and probably one part of that is because supplements are kind of like the Wild West in terms of FDA regulation but I think if you go with a reputable company mm-hmm. and do your homework and make sure I also as I was saying to you in the email before this I've used berberine successfully yeah. with patients there's emerging data on that I actually like combination products if I'm doing it for prediabetes. And I really have put a lot of pay people into remission with this as an adjunct, but with um, chromium, alpha lipoic acid, vanadil, cinnamon extract, there's there's mm-hmm. good combinations. But yeah. with that, I would recommend probably seeing a healthcare provider if you can, a nutrition person sure. who's comfortable with supplements but evidence-based supplements and not trying to sell you a garbage bag full of 20 different things that may not be proven. Um, We only have a few minutes left, but I think it's really important to round out the discussion with sleep and stress. So most people really don't make that association with blood sugar and those two lifestyle factors. So tell us a little
1: bit about those? It's really all about hormones. And when we're stressed, especially under chronic stress, we release cortisol. And we know that cortisol elevates our blood sugar. So if we're constantly have high cortisol levels, we're going to have high blood sugar. So that's definitely a contributor. And then the issue of sleep, think how you feel after a Poor day of sleep, you know, child's up or big exam. You feel lousy at work. You feel lousy during the day. Think what's happening to your cells. It's really an inflammatory process when we have insomnia. And inflammation isn't good. It damages our cells. It damages our cells from functioning properly. And that's why it's important getting good quality sleep, getting, you know, a a state of mind where you're not constantly stressed. These take work, absolutely. But for your overall health, it's going to have a big impact. And it's really about the activities that you do on a daily basis that add up over time. So, it's never one particular day if you have a bad night of sleep. But if you're having bad sleep four nights every week, that's not good. And and sometimes diabetes manifests itself as that, or thyroid disease. I always say it's a harbinger, perhaps, of something else. If you're constantly stressed, you need to think about the strategies. I mean, COVID has taught us that at the end of the day, all we have is our health, our jobs, don't matter maybe as much as we thought they did beforehand, we have to focus on our own health and our own self-care. And you point out at the beginning, diabetes, type 2, pre-diabetes are those that you have a lot of control over. And we don't talk to people enough about that. We just say, let's get on a medicine. And you and I and others are changing that.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And you really give a lot of good um, information in the book about the hormones ghrelin and leptin and mm-hmm. how uh, short sleep duration and that sort of thing can really significantly increase yeah. your risk of diabetes. And I would just add one thing to that is that obesity can cause disordered breathing at night. So, you know, um, sleep apnea. And that can cause insulin resistance if it's not treated. So if you or a loved one snores a lot, you may want to be evaluated because that may be contributing. I've seen that really interfere with patients' weight loss and Mm -hmm. metabolic control. So I think that's a really important point. And one more thing I thought was super interesting. You talk about a study, and I I love this. Um, You talked about a study, I think in in Marines or, or Navy, SEALs about mindset. And, you know, it's, uh, again, I like to be practical, but I don't like to be Pollyanna, like, oh, just think happy thoughts, (laughs) and you'll be happy, Mm because that's not how life is. Um, But uh, you, there's data on this. Tell us about that study.
1: That's uh, exactly right. And, you know, part of it involves how people think they will perform, how they rate their own performance. And as you point out, this is a study in Navy SEALs. And it's really just fascinating, I talk the specifics in the book, really about mindset, right, and what you think you'll be able to do. And, and that's what this is all about, in terms of if you think you're going to fail, in terms of your weight loss journey, you're going to fail. If you think you're going to be able to make progress and do well, and you rate yourself as doing well, you're going to succeed in it. So we do have to think about mindset, giving people the tools, though, to actually bring it about.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, we we talked about a lot today. There's a lot of different variables that may seem overwhelming to people. But one of the things that I really do is just try to take it one step at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself because, you know, right you're right. COVID is still around too. So the stress and everything is still there. Um, but I think that, you know, this doesn't have to change overnight. You know, diabetes no. didn't happen overnight or pre-diabetes. You don't have to reverse it or put it into remission overnight. So, you know, take baby steps. Um, And, you know, you talk about some stuff, like I do think journaling, oftentimes with patients, I'll have them keep a success journal of, of what they've done well. And I think that can really help build confidence in getting a better lifestyle. But I really, diabetes more than anything and diabetes is something I get so excited about when patients have it because I know mm-hmm. I can do something for them. So um, I'm so glad that you tackled that in your book. So again, for those of you who uh, want to take notes, Take Control of Your Diabetes Risk by Dr. John White. And that's white with a Y. So where can they go to learn more about you or to get more great info besides just WebMD? Sure. And 80
1: million people come to WebMD every month. Uh, Wow. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, any of the social things. It's at Dr. John White.
0: All right. And white with a Y, people. So make sure that, yeah, because that's kind of tricky. It is Um, tricky. So anyways, well, I appreciate so much your time and great information. And I really, I love that we are, um, you know, I feel like we're kindred spirits in this battle. And I hope we can, I hope with this podcast that we can make a difference. And um, I really appreciate you joining me today. And I hope we can have more conversations in the future. Absolutely. All right. You've been listening to Practically Healthy by Dr. Molina. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Like it, share it with your friends, comment on it, send me ideas. I want to do this for you. I want to give you practical tips, practical information, and practical tools to live a better life. So have a healthy day, and I'll see you soon.